Investors Chronicle. Welcome back to the Companies and Markets Show and welcome to Checks Notes 2023. Very exciting. While the calendars are updated, you'll be pleased to hear our lineup is still very much of a 2022 vintage. And speaking of being stuck in the past, our first guest, Mark Robinson. Hi, Mark. Uh, hi, John. Julian Hoffman as well. Hi, Julian. Hello. Yes, not far behind. <laughs> uh, Alex Newman. Hi, John. Hi, uh, and in the studio, Gemma Slingo's here. Hi, John. Hi, Gemma. Good to have you. And Dan Jones, Happy New Year. What, uh, what's coming up today? Happy New Year, John. That was a very savage uh, introduction of Mark. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we've got a few things today. Uh, we're recording this on Thursday, and there's uh, quite a few retailer trading updates out today of interest and of note. So we're going to be talking about those in particular next, but also touching on a couple of others as well and what uh, they might say about the year ahead. Then we are discussing this week's cover feature, which is our annual Ideas of the Year selection. So Alex will be on hand to talk about that. And finally, we're going to talk about quantitative tightening, the reversal of quantitative easing, of quantitative easing, I should say, as is taking place to differing degrees, differing extents uh, in developed markets. We're particularly going to look at Europe and then touch on the UK as well. News from the first week of the year uh, before we get there. And a reminder, we're speaking on Thursday the 5th. First up... Activity in the UK's manufacturing sector fell for the sixth successive month in December, with output, new orders and employment all declining at faster rates. The sector's decline looks set to continue into 2023, especially when government support for energy bills are cut, according to a senior economist. On a more positive note, however, new car registrations increased for a fifth successive month in December as the chip shortage begins to ease. However, the society of motor manufacturers and traders did note that the market remains well adrift of pre-pandemic performance. Cineworld shares fell 7% after the bankrupt cinema giant denied it had held talks with AMC Entertainment over selling assets to it. The company says it is aiming to rejig its structure and sell the entire business. Homeless accommodation landlord Home Reit on Tuesday suspended its shares due to its failure to publish its financial results on time. And then on Wednesday, the company's investment advisor, Alvarium, sold the part of its arm responsible for managing Home Reit uh, for £24 million. Uh, Mitchell Labiak, our property writer, has plenty of Home Reit coverage on the IC website if you wish to decipher this uh, chaos further. Shell have a new boss. Whale Sawan has said he was daunted but excited to tackle the huge challenges faced by the oil and gas industry. He replaces Ben van Buren, who'd been in charge since 2014. And Amazon plans to cut 18,000 jobs as the company looks to rein in costs. The majority of the cuts will come in the company's stores unit, which includes its e-commerce business and its HR division, according to a blog post from CEO Andy Jassy. Elsewhere, an IMF official has urged the Federal Reserve to not ease rate hikes. Yet, despite data suggesting US and European inflation might have peaked, Gita Gopinath, the fund's second-in-command, said Jay Power and Co. should stay the course. And indeed, notes from the Fed's December meeting released this Thursday morning indicated none of the central bank officials anticipated cutting rates this year. That's all from me. Over to Dan with the rest of the show. Thanks, John. Yeah, so we'll start with what has turned out to be a bit of New Year cheer from some retailers today, starting with Next. 
contrast in some ways couldn't be couldn't be greater from its uh, September update, which was rather doomy. Gemma, uh, you've uh, looked at the trading update today, and it's not quite a case of everything's going to be fine all year, but it certainly seems much more optimistic than they did just a few months ago. Yeah, so it was quite a cheerful read, actually, on quite a gloomy January morning. So back in September, when next half-year results were out, it was quite doom and gloom. They were saying that pre-tax profits for the full year were going to be lower than they previously expected. Inflation was raging. Consumer spending was down. So I think the market was braced for quite quite a miserable update today. But actually, Christmas turned out to be way stronger than they were expecting. So in the nine weeks up to the 30th of December, um, sales actually rose by 5% when they thought they'd be down by about 2%. Um, and generally, the mood was a lot brighter. So they actually reversed their profit guidance, again, saying it would reach what they originally thought it would, um, which was about £20 million more than what they were forecasting in September. So, yeah, good good news for, for investors, I think. Yeah, it's been a bit of a round trip, I think, hasn't it? Because I think they're, they're ending up with the exact figure they, they forecast at the start of last year. So having guided down, they're guiding up again. But I think... To be fair to Next, you know, some other companies, perhaps you might say, well, this is just a case of managing expectations well and then beating them. But but this does seem to be a bit of a, um, a bit of a change in, in thinking. And, and we have seen some retail figures this week, uh, the past couple of weeks in terms of the Christmas period, proving slightly better than expected, uh, maybe not quite to the same extent as, as the, the next shift that we saw there. Um but it was also interesting, a couple of points in their trading updates, or very detailed as usual, is that it still seems they're still finding out new things about how the business was operating, you know, back in the pandemic. I think they said they underestimated both the impact uh, of coronavirus on sales last year, but also how stock shortages may have dampened demand last year as well. So, so it's quite interesting from that point that, you know, we're, we're now in 2023 and people are still you know, realising things about how the business is performing year on year that they maybe weren't quite aware of a few months ago. Yeah, and I think it's making us question some of the habits we think are quite ingrained now. So it was interesting looking at how they divided up online shopping to in-person shopping. So both in the last quarter of the year and in the second half of the year, it was in-person sales that were really driving the growth. So they were up 12.5% in in the nine weeks up to 30th of December. Um and that does sort of make you stop and think, well, do people really love online shopping as much as we think they do? Or were sort of shopping habits being repressed all this time by COVID and actually there might be this more positive wave back into high streets and retail um, actual sort of brick and mortar stores? So, yeah, I think quite a lot of businesses will be looking at these with interest and thinking, have we got it completely right? I was um, When I had a look at it this morning, it, it just occurred to me there, there might be... Um, uh, a psychological aspect to this as well, because this is the first Christmas uh, trading period that we've had, which hasn't been uh, had the shadow of uh, COVID-19 hanging over it. And it might just represent uh, um, the fact that people were hankering to return back to a degree of normality. That's, you know, purely speculative on my part. Uh, but there are, there are some other interesting aspects to it. I think Gemma, Gemma's analysis uh, brought it out pretty well that uh, looking at other retailers going forward, there's uh, there's, there's three inter, interlinked areas that, that are going to have a major bearing on earnings uh, in the coming months, and that's the the level of full price sales, um, i.e. Uh, discounting, uh, 
<clears throat> inventory levels and also stock turn and, and debtor days. You know, those are sort of rather boring metrics there, but they, they relate to one another and, and they're going to determine um, uh, earnings throughout the, the retail sector and other sectors as well. I was uh, thinking about tourism the other day as well. So it's worth keeping that in mind. One other point I'd like to make as well is that we, we should have... We should have been well past uh, the high point of the credit cycle by now, but if uh, reports are to be believed, it seems it seems obvious that households are now using credit cards to meet their everyday needs. So you know that that's going to have an you know the the level of discretionary uh, spending stroke discretionary income will also have a bearing as the year moves on. But it's certainly a, a, a positive a positive beat uh, post Christmas. The the other thing I was going to mention was um, cost inflation. Next, as usual, giving pretty detailed forecasts for the year ahead, and on costs as well. There's um there's a bit more good news. It seems I think they're now saying spring and summer ranges will cost eight percent more than last year. Autumn winter lines about six percent more, which again sounds sounds better in terms of i.e. less severe than they were saying in September. That that might partly be due to the change we've seen in sterling, I think part of the warning in September was due to the fact that sterling was down at 105 against the dollar, and now obviously we're somewhat stronger. But but perhaps there's also signs there. I think um, management have been saying in recent months, again, even in that September update, there are signs of of improvement there on the, the inflation uh, side of things as well. So perhaps that's another green shoot to look forward to this year. Yeah, you'd hope so. I mean, they do caveat it slightly by saying um, the autumn winter estimates are estimates, so they're still negotiating on prices. But they mentioned that cotton and polyester prices seem to be coming down and that factory capacity seems to be um, improving, which should hopefully mean they can sell their, their products at more reasonable prices and keep keep enticing customers into their stores. The, the other thing uh, we should touch on, uh, as I said at the top, a couple of other results today, Greg's or trading updates rather, Greg's and uh, B and M. Again, both of which not not quite as uh, uh, positive as as next, but certainly fairly positive in the context of what we've uh, been told and what we kind of think about retailers at the moment in terms of where we are in the economy and with consumer demand that kind of thing. So, so again, putting a fairly optimistic spin on it for the start of the year. The flip side to that perhaps is I was just having a look this morning on a very you know basic level and I was quite surprised to see that share prices for all these companies are actually up you know 50% since the September lows so in some cases the price is up with a fax perhaps Mark I don't know if you if you have any thoughts about the sector in general I know you touched on some of the things to watch in the um in the months ahead but you know is there a chance that there is too much doom and gloom about and, and things won't be that bad or um, it's it's difficult. It's difficult to say, really. It's highly subjective. Uh, but the the market is obviously well in the in the lead up to Christmas. The market uh, was obviously pricing in some fairly dire outcomes. Greg's was interesting um, insofar as that it was one of the the companies that reacted most promptly to the the problems brought about by the, the pandemic. And I, I don't. Know, I think it's an it's a lesson in, in good management for the company as well. They're they're still well. They're back into an expansionary mode. They open just under 190 uh, outlets through next year. I think I think the um, the main issue for for Greg's now is trying to work out which are the most uh, uh, profitable circumstances under which under which to open their stores as well. And that's because you know we've seen some uh, fairly profound 
post-pandemic changes, not least of which the uh, changes in hybrid working patterns, and, and that's affected their, their planning process too. Um, I, when you were talking br briefly before was about uh, Next as well, obviously a fair, uh, a fair proportion of their, their cost base is linked to energy prices, and uh, they're going to remain elevated through much of this year, I would imagine, but perhaps the situation isn't quite so dire as uh, market sentiment would have had us to believe uh, midway through last year. Well, fingers crossed on that front. But we are at the start of the year, uh, as everyone will know, and that brings us to our cover feature this week, which is our ideas of the year, looking at a selection of companies and other securities, as we may come on to in a moment, that that we think have some potential for the for the 12 months ahead. So Alex Newman, our ideas editor, is with us as per. Alex, uh, maybe we start by sort of talking about the thinking behind how we structure these ideas and how we, we choose them and the way that has changed slightly this year. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I was going to maybe start partly to introduce the feature, which, I mean, it'd be familiar to lots of, um, lots of our regular listeners and um, long-term readers, I mean, in a way, it's a little bit of a contradiction in terms because we often talk and write about investment ideas, I suppose, in terms of, you know, several years and the kind of buy and hold case for companies mm. uh, rather than a single year. And yet, yeah, as you said, I mean, our flagship first issue of each year is is precisely a, a relatively short term view in that, you know, we're looking for stocks that are going to do well in 2023, not necessarily just foc you know, focusing on the case you know, over the next five years. But I mean, that's sort of how we do things in the media and financial markets, I suppose. So there's that framing. And I, it's kind of a good discipline as well, because it means we, we do you know, hold ourselves to a bit of account. And the, you know, the ability to see more than a year out does get harder uh, when you're looking at the investment case for any, any one asset. So, so it's, not in, you know, it's not a meaningless um, exercise. That aside, as you alluded to, we have made a few tweaks to, to how we're doing it this year. I mean, and, and the, the, the main point of that is to reflect the, you know, really the sea change in investor sentiment that we've seen over the past year. So, you know, in essence, and we've talked about this lots of times on the podcast, but it, it really amounts to much greater scepticism about the long-term promises companies are making and a greater focus on the near-term profitability. And we can't talk about this enough, really, sort of the fundamental value of uh, of stocks. So this year, you know, if I was going to in, in paint it in broad brushstrokes, is a little bit of le less of a focus on pricey quality names and a bit more of a bent towards value and income. I think that wouldn't say, necessarily say a herd view, but that I think that reflects this this new market reality and, and, you know, what that means in practice is a bit of a change to the five, to most of the, the, the five, 10 stock portfolios we put together. And when I say portfolios, these are kind of more 10 stocks, which encapsulate a market theme or idea, which we think are going to stand a chance in, in 2023. Yeah, as you say that uh, they are themes rather than diversified portfolios, each yeah. of them, but, but there's plenty of uh, info in there on each company, as you would expect. But they're not just, um, not just equities not just stocks this year as well we got a couple of uh, of different securities in there if we wanted to speak yeah. about them perhaps i may drag julian in here you know i'm not going to give away all the the names of the the companies we're looking at this year but one is one which julian highlighted which i think is very interesting interesting which does kind of in a way if you're going to encapsulate the options facing investors at the start of 2023 it's quite and it's quite an interesting test case so julian pointed out that general accident preference shares it is an equity, but it has 
some quirks which mean it's quite different to to you know the shares we talk about normally uh in the mag L looking like quite an interesting investment case there what that investment case is essentially is an, a good yield so it's yielding over seven percent at the moment and it's backstopped by a company in aviva which has um you know has 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 you know been very well led over the last couple of years and we think is increasingly a solid proposition you know the potential for capital appreciation is rather limited and i think you could probably make that case of lots of companies out there but you know if there is you know by the end of this year a little bit of a slightly less gloomy outlook there is that potential for capital appreciation there alongside the yield so it is perhaps a slightly conservative view that we're high highlighting a preference share which stock pickers would say you know that's well that's basically a you know a quasi bond uh, hopefully that helps explains a little bit about our approach and uh, which is quite cautious at the start of this year to to equity markets yeah so it, it, you're right um, alex it's uh, it's an interesting investment case i'm i'm obviously waiting for the very angry letters to the the editor on the fact that we've highlighted a preference share but um <laughs> Uh, the, the the basic case really is that the the yield compression has ended and um, it's kind of left these instruments looking far more attractive than they have in a decade. I mean, I I remember when you know you could pick these up at uh, maybe one ten uh, in the in the pound, um, and then they went as high as like one fifty one sixty uh, during the the period when we couldn't get any interest uh, or any uh, yield at all on anything. Uh, yes, yeah, so the, the bearishness around it has actually been a, a positive for this particular instrument, and uh, on the basis that you should only really buy things when they they're in relative terms cheap, then um, it seemed like a good uh, a good bet for a tip of the year. But uh, yeah, Alex is is right. It's not you can't really treat it like a like a share. You have to almost think of it as a bond. Uh, but obviously, it doesn't have the same features of a bond uh, in that you don't own any bits for the company but uh, it's uh, you know an interesting <clears throat> an interesting segue I think into uh, into the prefs market uh, and one which you know the readers tend to like overall yeah uh, as you say you know it, technically in equity but but certainly more bond like than we're used to and, and I was also thinking of um uh <laughs> Investment companies as well, which we haven't included in uh, the yeah. ideas of the year before, and we do continue to do so as well. So there is there is that uh, diversification there in terms of the choice of instrument. But we we should be clear, shouldn't we, that that you know these are in the main equities and and companies that you know common stock that we think shows potential for the year ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, the as as you mentioned, you lose today. Yeah, the investment companies or investment trusts is another you know group of ten ten. Um, a sort of 10 share portfolio as well that we've, we're highlighting for, for a different reason there um, being that they you know there are some enormous discounts on offer for um, in some of the investment trust universe some of it warranted some of it starting to look like value um, uh, value territory uh, in some cases there's kind of a double discount because they're buying you know some uh, trusts or funds are buying into other funds which are themselves discounted um, so that is kind of that is, you know, one of the what seems to uh, to me and a few others on the team like, a, you know, one of the greatest, um, uh, I suppose, opportunities for value investors at the moment in UK markets. Um, but yeah, a little bit different to how we'd normally look at um, normally look at sort of share ideas at the start of start of a year. Yeah, uh, and 
in terms of how we normally do and how we've done in the past, we, we should reflect on last year's ideas, which uh, in the spirit of self-criticism, criticism and perhaps in contrast to the the regular weekly ideas which performed pretty well in some we we had some issues with the uh, ideas of the year last year i think it's fair to say yeah it was, i mean it's really bad the performance is really bad i mean i think i wrote in another piece this week that i mean anecdotally at least it was retail investors who were most overweight you know that are kind of highly valued high promise growth stocks at the end of 2021 or the start of 2022 i, I mean in reality most equity investors probably were uh, and it's not clear to me that the fund managers, you know, avoided this mistake as it proved to be. Um, but I mean, it's interesting looking back on a year a year ago. Our picks certainly show the biases of this kind of post-pandemic uh, investing themes. So you know, quality quality was really still the you know the you know the, the big game in town. Um, growth, long-term uh, sort of long-term promise stocks, uh, yeah, were kind of like the yeah, the market story du jour and our picks, because we were kind of quite overweight, that sort of growth quality story, it really didn't hold up particularly well against the the benchmarks against which we can, you know, we compare them to so both the FTSE world and uh, the FTSE all share. So, you know, in trying to explain our picks for this year, I've, I've kind of reflected a little bit on on how we did, how we did last year or how last last year's picks did. And I think, you know, on balance, this is kind of slightly more income and value focused approach is probably warranted given given what, you know, we know we now know things are very uncertain. We, it may not have been quite as clear how, how sort of bleak and uncertain things were um, last January. Yeah, well, fingers crossed for our portfolios this year. And certainly I think the, the diversity of options on offer should provide some food for thought for everyone. But we're going to turn now to our final segment of the week. We are talking quantitative tightening, which is a phrase I hope not to repeat too many more times on today's show, because I think I got away with the correct pronunciation there. Julian, I think you wanted to talk about this a little bit. We'll, we'll start with Europe and, and the, the impact there, because um, the ECB, as everyone else has been over the past few months, is is tightening policy. It is uh, planning to shrink its $5 trillion dollars worth five trillion euro worth portfolio of bonds this year uh at the same time as issuance from countries in the euro area, euro area is expected to increase so there's a bit of a tension there yeah so basically the the biggest buyer of euro bonds uh, is about to exit the market i mean that's the 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 sum total of this uh, the ECB is going to dial down its uh, bond buying program by roughly 15 billion euros a month, uh, although the, the estimates tend to vary. I think that'll end up uh, being how <clears throat> how the, the underlying economy performs in some ways. But it's, uh, it, yeah, it is an inflection point for the Eurozone because there are countries that are reliant on issuing quite large amounts of, um, of debt. Uh, chief among them, obviously, is Italy. Uh, yeah, every rise of uh, two or three basis points in in uh, in Italy's yield adds uh, several more billion to their to their interest bill, and uh, yeah, it's a very awkward but probably necessary step that the ECB has to take, and uh, they can only hope that the, the 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 architecture that they designed since 2010 has is able to take the strain of. Of uh, of the tightening without uh, causing a, a meltdown, uh, you know, such as happened to Greece or or Ireland. Um, 
But is, yeah, we'll wait and see. Yeah, this is really one of the big unknowns for the year ahead, isn't it all? An unknown unknown, if you will, compared to the known unknown of inflation and and interest rates. And even though we may be at a stage, albeit not quite, uh, in the eurozone where, where rates are peaking, uh, this you know withdrawal of liquidity is something that you know obviously has never happened before because we never had quantitative easing, easing reversing before. So really, no one knows how it's going to play out. I mean, is there a potential impact for, for the banking sector as well in Europe? Well, there clearly is. Certainly the market is betting on that because the valuations, unlike in the UK and the US, are struggling to uh, gain any um, gain any altitude. You can pick up quite good um, EU banking shares for under uh, a PE of seven, sometimes six, six and a half. Uh, and the problem, I think, is that the market is, reckons that uh, somebody is going to have to buy these bonds. And because banks have a sort of regulatory um live under a kind of regulatory stranglehold there is you know there could be a 50 50 chance that uh, governments will force banks to take on more uh liquid uh, more capital uh, by buying up government bonds uh, in a way sort of <laughs> increasing their risk-weighted assets uh by you know one or two percent possibly and uh, that is definitely having an impact on the shares it's actually having more of an impact than the price of a recession, which is interesting. And actually, the, the threat of recession, in, in some ways, is is lifting in, in some countries. You know, there was uh, recent data from Germany and France where manufacturing seems to be picking up, as as I think we, we picked up on the UK as well. So uh, the, the, the biggest threat, I would say, is probably the, this regulatory overhang from um, the bond market that could force banks to to increase their levels of liquidity at a time when they were looking to give back uh, capital to shareholders. So there is a there is a definite risk there. Final point, because uh, we have to wrap up very shortly, but I just want to touch on the UK as well. Obviously, the UK is also going through its own quantitative tightening process and slightly different from Europe insofar as uh, the ECB is effectively letting uh, these bonds roll off, whereas the UK is actively selling bonds before they mature. Uh, so a slightly more aggressive strategy. And, you know, there is the question of, you know, who will be the buyer in the UK market as well. Obviously, pension funds have had a bit of a shock in recent months. Could we see some similar, a similar overhang for the UK in the months ahead? I, it's difficult to say with, with any certainty in the UK because uh, the, 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 the main market for, for government bonds in the UK is, as you say, the pension funds and, and the major banks. And we we don't... We don't have the wide of as variety of buyers as you get in Europe or the US. So the demand is slightly different. I think it's about eighty percent domestic to twenty percent foreign buyers. Um, and I don't, I don't think that proportion is going to change very much. Or at least it would have to be very, you know, there would have to be quite a different. They'd have to offer keener prices on the bonds in order to get more, more outside buyers to buy them. I think. Um, but we could be, you know, we're in a rate increase, you know, we're in a rate increasing cycle and uh, there must come a point where it's the, the value of sterling plus the rates that are being offered by the Bank of England is going to make uh, um, foreign buyers come back and uh, and perhaps uh, perhaps take on that debt. Uh, but uh, at the moment, it's just too early. It's just too too early to tell. And and for, judging by the price action, it's not something that the market is is looking at the banks and saying that this could be a problem. Yeah. Indeed. Well, 
Perhaps the kindness of strangers will help us out again later this year. Uh, thank you, Julian. Uh, that does bring us to the end of the show, so thank you to everyone this week. Thank you to Gemma and to Mark and to Alex and to John as well. We'll be back next week with another Companies and Markets show. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.